0: Can you reinvent the wheel? Can you build a better mousetrap? Jeff Plotner, co-founder of a wildly successful Charleston Launch Bowtie business, would probably tell you that you can. He'd probably also tell you that the key is not in perfecting a product, but in building a strong, reliable team and forging a unique set of core values to bind those team members together in service of something greater than a commodity. What started as a single bow tie fashioned from a bird feather for a groomsman present has turned into a multi-million dollar company. Today, Brackish has expanded their one-of-a-kind bow tie offering to include a full line of men's and women's clothing and accessories, from cufflinks and cummerbunds to earrings and bracelets. In my interview with Jeff, who also happens to be a Lowcountry Local First board member, I realize that it's his love of the low country and his passion for unmeshed customer service that make him such a strong leader. The sort of leader who could grow the sort of company that would go on to sell the sort of products that today are worn by the likes of Cam Newton, Bill Murray, and Blake Lively, just to name a few. And while Jeff and his co-founder Ben have reached impressive levels of business success, the real feather in his cap, at least from my perspective, is his willingness to give back to provide aspiring entrepreneurs like those in Lowcountry Local First's Good Enterprises program with the tools, resources, and advice they need to start their own businesses, to improve their own mouse traps, and maybe change their own little corner of the world for the better in the process. I am Steve Fletcher, your host of Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve, a program from Lowcountry Local First. And I'm really excited to introduce today's interview with Jeff Plotner, co founder of a local Charleston based Brackish. Let's get into it. First off, why don't we zoom way out and share with us, if you will, I don't mean to put you on the spot with something uh, a little bit nebulous, but In your words, who is Jeff Plotner? (laughs) Who is Jeff Plotner? Steve, thanks for having me.
1: I'm I'm super excited to be here. Um, When I think of who is Jeff Plotner, I don't feel like I have a lot of time to do that on a day-to-day basis. Um, I really would say that Jeff Plotner is, is somebody who's very passionate about the business that my business partner Ben and I have started. Um, I'm passionate about entrepreneurial conquests, um, entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, I'm also passionate about the local community. And with that, I'm obviously first and foremost passionate about my my family. Um, so I, I learned at a young age that being passionate about things is probably the best way to go. Um, because you just, you really can't fake it. You got to get into something and really go for it, if that makes sense. Oh,
0: absolutely. And uh, Jeff's company, Brackish, has been around for almost a decade. They create um, some beautifully designed clothing accessories, and I'll let Jeff get a little bit more into exactly what they create and kind of the story behind Brackish as we move along the interview, Um, but just for folks to know, he certainly, I can attest to the fact that he really has an entrepreneurial mind, and not only does he lead a really cool uh, locally headquartered but globally oriented Uh, retail business, a clothing, textile, accessories business, but he has helped us out in really big ways in kind of a leadership support capacity um, at a number of our programs here at Lowcountry Local First to help incubate great ideas among local aspiring entrepreneurs. Jeff, would you mind talking a little bit about some of the work you've done with us recently? in the Good Enterprises program, even on our board. I mean, what what initially got you synced up with a local economic development nonprofit like Lowcountry Local First? And why do you stick around? Like what amps you up about it? Are there any stories you have from the road uh, regarding ways that you've helped local entrepreneurs through Lowcountry Local First? Yeah,
1: I um, mean, every so many things about low country local first really gets me amped up to to use your term, and I think it's a great term. Um, I remember first coming across low country local first years and years ago. I mean, this is probably over ten years ago when I was I was working at Steen Enterprises, uh, local. Local tractor dealership um, right down in Adams Run, South Carolina, and I
0: didn't realize that. Adam yeah, Stein.
1: Adam okay, Steen cool. and a good friend of mine. And I after I worked there, I went on on my way and did did some other things. Um, but uh, about three years ago, Adam um, kind of introduced me uh, to to Jamie Haley and just talked to me about what Low Country Local first does on a daily basis and. My wife is also um, a president and CEO of her nonprofit, so I have um, intimate knowledge of of what goes on in just generally a nonprofit situation. But as I came on the board and as I got to know everybody that's a part of this operation, um, you know, I go back to the word passion, and you can really tell how passionate the people here are, the team, and how unbelievable the team is. And so it's really just trying to help out as much as you can, given my strengths and where I see myself organically slotting into um, low country local first and what I can do. And so you mentioned good enterprises. And when that was first introduced, I got so excited. How, how are we going to mentor prospective business owners yeah. and help them along the way because there are so many pitfalls, hurdles, different things that you can do mm-hmm. or not do that affects your success and how you can keep going on this path of entrepreneurialism. And it's something that, that I love. And so that was something that really excited me and, and Raquel and, and the whole team there um, asked me to come in and, and do some do some talks with the with the class and so we talked about pricing we talk about gross margin we talk about different things um that you really have to focus on in a business that you might not really learn in a class Hmm. and so there are so many real real world stories and things that i've seen over the past few years Mm -hmm. that i would love to be able to communicate to other people so they don't do some of the same things that i did that may not have been the best Decisions, right right, 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 right. So let's let's think about that. Like, how can we how can we help anybody that has that passion about starting their own business, whatever right. it is, Right. and just having the the foresight. And I'm talking about low country local first to really get something like that up and running, and how that affects a local community is amazing. And yeah. it's something that continues to excite me. And after some of these. Um, these these people graduate from the first the first round the right. first class. Right. Um, then I'm able to, to mentor um, some of these people that have graduated that have, you know, some some ideas that that need to be incubated a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Or I can really kind of get into a one-on-one uh, with them sure. and talk to them about some things that I've done in even more granular fashion yeah. to really help them on their way and that's something that i'm currently
0: doing now as well cool yeah And for folks who don't know good enterprises uh, is one of our many initiatives here at low country local first it's aimed at uh, empowering lifting up supporting advocating for um, disadvantaged uh, entrepreneurs here particularly those who um, are low to moderate income and have been uh, disadvantaged uh, just by systems that exist um, uh, in many ways shapes and forms um, but nevertheless are uh, trying to harness the power of entrepreneurship to, um, to kind of make, make their own story. And uh, I, th- I think it's a powerful program. I'm, I'm privileged to be in an organization personally that, that has launched something as important as Good Enterprises. And we're really fortunate to have folks like Jeff um, coach and mentor some of these students. Uh, Jeff, do you have have an example of something that you would share with a student or mentee of yours, either in that program or just, uh, you know, out in the real world? Someone comes to you and says, hey, you, Jeff Plotner, are who I want to be in 10 years. Ten years ago, you started a business that is really flourishing. You're an entrepreneur who has seemed to get to a place of success, what do I do to get to that same place? What would you tell someone like that? They've just started their business, they don't have all the answers, um, but they know they want to uh, point themselves in a trajectory that might bring them to where brackish is nine and a half years after starting.
1: It's a great question and a question that I would have a lot of answers to. Um, I can I can point to somebody right now that that i'm helping to mentor who's a graduate of of good enterprises and we're we're really working through a lot of good things right now um the first thing i would say is you'll never have all the answers ever Um, when you think that you do have all the answers is when you should probably go find something else to do because you've always got to have that curiosity always have the curiosity always have adaptability because there are going to be so many things that are always going to change that you can plan and plan and plan, and you will never know that this is coming. So you've got to be ready for anything that comes your way. Uh, 2020 is a great case in point. And you've got to have that curious mentality and that adaptable mentality in addition to, I will go back to, passion and commitment. you got to be all in. you got you got to go all in. Because nobody's going to do it for you. And you might want answers from this, that, and the other thing, but nobody's going to know your business as well as you do. Mm -hmm. And you've got to take the bull by the horns, um, do it yourself, and be be passionate about it.
0: What's an example of a time where... You needed to really dig into your own inner passion for your job and your entrepreneurial journey to overcome a particularly pernicious or seemingly insurmountable obstacle. What's a time where it seemed like all hope was lost, but you told yourself, you know what, I know I'm passionate about this. I'm going to follow my own advice. I'm going to dig my heels in, and I know I'll make it through this. Can you think of a time where it seemed like it was a little too bleak to overcome, but you were able to get through it specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think think a lot of people can relate to pointing back to to 2020. Hmm. Um, so let me let me set the stage here. Please, I mean, yeah. what we do is is we make upscale accessories, and the majority of these are bought by customers who are going to wear these at a large gathering with a lot of people. And if there was ever a business that could say, all right, well, this isn't really going to work out right now. When a pandemic hits, when nobody can get together, when nobody can gather, when nobody's getting married, when there aren't any parties, you could really cry yourself a river and say it's going to be brackish. And obviously that was never in, in my realm of thought, and it was never in our team's realm of thought. But at the same time, when things just stop, and you think you've got a lot of momentum, and you got a great team, and things are going very well, and then everything stops, it really makes you pivot, it really makes you think, it really makes you dig into that passion. And so, I remember this very well. I think it was, it might have been the weekend after March 17th, 2020, and it's a Saturday, and we're, we're at the realization that that things are, things are starting to stop here. Sure. And we have got to make some decisions fast. And at the same time, we still gotta figure out ways to, to bring business in. But at the same time, you think about your local community, you think about your economy, you think about your family, and it gets really heavy. And I'm sitting in my office by myself on a Saturday afternoon Mm -hmm. and it's just one of those things where you're racking your brain and I'm just thinking and I'm thinking and I'm thinking I'm thinking what 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 can we do you know and we and we did put together a plan and and all credit in the world goes to goes to our team and how amazing they are because that adaptability was already kind of set and it's not something that I taught it's mostly what what they already had you know how how a lot of our team members were already programmed with adaptability flexibility and change but we were still tr- we still had to get some money in the door right and a lot of our retailers uh were shut down hmm. they stopped hmm. for obvious reasons and one thing that we'd always done as a business is never rely on one income channel sure you know you, you have your your Neiman Marcus, your Saks Fifth Avenue, your Nordstrom's, your, your retailers. And you have a lot of these different income channels and we've never relied too heavily on one just in case something happened. We never had planned a pandemic or anything, but you know, if one goes away pretty fast, we have a lot of other things. And something that I've always been passionate about is the, is the direct business. Um, a website online e-commerce the first thing I the first one of the first things I ever did when we started the business is put together a website I just went on weebly.com and nice. put together put together sure. a, a, a website it, it took me it took me a few hours to figure out I had a PayPal button on yeah. it and everything and <laughs> and we, we were on our way right sure. but it was always really really important for the customer and it was All local customers to start come straight to us you can get immediate feedback you can talk directly to your customer Mm -hmm. for so many different reasons and so we've always had that and we love like I just said we love to communicate directly with our customers and our production and quality manager at the time she had a lot of friends who were nurses Mm -hmm. and our design director just mentioned to me that she had been, after work, she'd been sewing masks for her nurse friends because they couldn't get any. And that idea, it kind of stuck with me for a little bit, and I was going back, sitting in the office on a Saturday afternoon, trying to think about, you know, what it is we could do to be proactive here. I'll just sit back and let this happen. And it just kind of clicked in my head that people think about us as this upscale accessory company and we and we use our medium as their feathers. And so that's one of the best, we're the best in the world at doing that. But at the same time, we have a sewing team and we have a large sewing team because there's so many things that we need to do to put everything together. And so I started thinking about it and said, can we just make masks here and can we do that and donate them to the hospital staffs around here? And so that, you know, everybody has these thoughts and ideas, but that thought and idea clicked in my head and it wasn't a half a second before I was, you know, calling our team talking to them about that. And, again, this goes back to the, to the team, being willing, ready, and able to go. Yeah. Um, and being in the boat with you and pulling in the right direction with you. And, and this, at the same time, most of our team, we were, we were remote. And it's really, really hard to manufacture textiles remotely. Mm-hmm. But we were doing it, and we figured it out. And so we figured out, and, again tons of credit to the team, how to make masks ourselves, how to sew them, how to get the materials. And we would just start donating them um, to, the, to the medical community. And so we did that, but at the same time, you gotta get that word out. Mm-hmm. And another thing I had, I had known that our, our quality manager she loves to do YouTube videos, loves to put them together. Hmm. And so, I, and she's been with us for like six years. And I, and I walk over to her and I say, hey, um, we're going to start making masks for the medical community, but we want to put together like a video to do this. Um, would you be open to putting together a video? She said, sure. She was all about it. And so a we video got
0: like demonstrating how they're made and where they're going once they're made yes
1: yeah just kind of a just kind of a quick summary of what we're gonna do sure. and so our head sewist at the time she was she was the star okay. of the video and Maddie who is our quality manager she was she was the one directing the video but she hadn't she had her iPhone out and that's how we were doing this yeah. and it was all you know very organic yeah. We didn't have any high tech stuff going on, but we were just, we were moving fast. And that's what is really, really important to me a lot of times is is going, Mm -hmm. is going, is making that idea something tangible. Mm -hmm. And so we put together this video, we got it out there, you know, social media and, and everything else. And it hit really, really well, and I'm I'm happy to say that we were one of the first ones in the community uh, to do that, and so excited that that it's it's happened that way, and yeah. that it really it really took, and so people saw it, and next thing you know, news news channels are talking to us, sure. and we got a lot of good accolades for it, and it wasn't because of that, but we were just trying to figure out something different something remarkable that could be done to help the business but at the same time the local community mm-hmm.
0: and and it and it helped you know yeah i think there's something powerful about that's it. it's a fantastic story um i think everyone's got their own every entrepreneur has it seems their own covid story uh some are stories of, of, of loss or regret, many are stories of silver lining and pivot. Um, that's a, That story that you just shared is powerful, I appreciate it. I also think it's interesting, Jeff, that that story involves an entrepreneur who is in the midst of an unprecedented set of circumstances and instead of dreaming up as their first attempt at Overcoming said circumstances a way to make more money or do business better your first inclination is to donate a whole bunch of masks something you've never sewed before but to give them away for free and obviously you mentioned that there are public relations accolades and there's a story that's built and presumably that leads to more sales but would you mind talking to the listeners for a moment about what it is because I've noticed it We do a good business summit every year at low country local first for listeners who don't know um, that happens every february and it's an opportunity to bring together some of the thought leaders in the region and beyond who are proponents of local independent business but uh, as importantly are proponents of doing business good as we say so there's a kind of a triple bottom line component there's a times a social enterprise component jeff i'm curious how social enterprise plays into what you do at Brackish. It seems like you have a team uh, that is devoted to doing good, and it seems like they have a leader whose first inclination, in, at least in, in times of stress, is to pivot and do good. Tell me a little bit about why many entrepreneurs I've met, if, if, if you have theories, Are so interested in not just making a whole bunch of money but in improving the communities around them or at least trying to do so
1: sure I I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to have some type of moral compass and you can't constantly be driven by that traditional bottom line it's always got to be in your in your sight lines obviously but you just can't you can't go there 100 percent of the time and you've got to be genuine and you've got to be authentic and those are two words that are so easily said Hmm. but much much harder to practice that and so i would i would say that myself when we're talking about social enterprise good business i'm a lot less analytical that way other than just really organically operating the way that you feel like is the right way to operate Um, and not trying to get too complicated Mm. because if you do that if if you just operate simply a lot of times it's a lot harder to do that you can get you can get 1400 spreadsheets together and all these different word documents and all that stuff (laughs) right but if you, just, if you just have these more simple ideas and you put them into practice and you're confident that this is an authentic way that you're going to be doing business for your brand and for your team, then more times than not, it's going to come through that way and it's going to benefit way more than you, but then it'll come back and benefit you as well. But you've got mm-hmm. to have confidence, that inner confidence that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But then your team has to follow you and have confidence in that message
0: to keep going that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Let's zoom out for a minute. Tell me a little bit about what makes Charleston and the Lowcountry such fertile ground for local independent businesses. You're here, you've been here presumably since you started about 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Brackish began about mm-hmm. 10 years ago um, as predominantly a, a upscale, as you mentioned, feather accessories, bow tie company, but has since expanded to a lot of really uh, interesting Uh, Markets and now y'all just make a bunch of incredible products and are known as Brackish. Um, So I'm excited to dig more into what you have going on now um, operationally and kind of what your vision is for the future as a business. But I do wanna step back a minute and learn a little bit more about how Brackish came to be and how Charleston plays into that story. Yeah, the story for any brand is so important,
1: right? And I'll zoom out probably even more and just talk about my, my first experiences with Charleston um, because those helped shape me as we moved into the entrepreneurial side of it. I mean, I was, I'm was i originally from St. Simons Island, Georgia, um, but I found, I found passion in a sport called soccer. And it got to the point when I was uh, 13, 14, 15 years old that I was trying to move on from some of the smaller teams in a smaller area that I was living in st Simon's I was looking for a little bit more competition and so I got hooked up with a team a soccer team up here in Charleston and so my parents would would drive me up here three hours up three hours back for for practice during the week and then same thing for the weekends um, but I got to the point where I was um, I got the, I made all these friends on my team and I would start you know spending the night um, in Charleston and I was starting to get immersed in, in Charleston the place and that was such a big definitive time for me. I didn't, obviously didn't know to the time. I just wanted to play soccer. But sure. it really introduced me to Charleston. And I always just, I loved the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and for so many obvious reasons, right? But fast forward and I get through college and I, my friends and I move down here just because we know that we want to be down here. And I'm getting to the point where um, I want to start a business. And you know, it, you're you're a little bit younger and you're a little bit more idealistic, and it just sounds so easy, right? Let's just let's just start a business, and it's not that easy at all. Um, but part of my decision-making process when I was thinking about this was that Charleston's a very important place for me, and it's somewhere that I want to be, and so. I'll start a business here in Charleston. It's so funny looking back and thinking about how that how that thought process <laughs> sure. goes. Good way to tether you to a spot. Yeah, yeah, it will. It'll do it. And, um, for better or for worse. Yeah, and, and so the whole story about how, how we get started and, and, you know, Brackish is a, is a lesson in, in a partnership. Um, you know, my, my business partner and one of my best friends in the entire world, Ben Ross, um, he... He came up with this, this crazy feather bow tie idea off the top of his head um, about 15 years ago when he was getting married. And I was fortunate enough to to be a groomsman in his wedding, him and him and his wife, Marianne. And he is, um, when we talk about genuine and authentic, he's about as genuine and authentic as you can get. And he, he came up with this this crazy idea and gave them to us to wear in his wedding. And at the time... I didn't really think about it very much, other than it was pretty cool. I was. Did he manufacture
0: them himself? Yeah, oh,
1: made cool. them himself. He thought about them, came up with the design, made them himself. Cool. I mean, all of it, and thought they were pretty cool. I was in my twenties. I was, um, I was on the wedding circuit. All my friends were getting married, and so every time I'd look to see what am I going to wear to this wedding, Ben's feather bow tie that he gave to me was always just like right there in my closet. And so I just put it on. And every time I'd go to these these weddings at the reception, I'd, I'd have six or seven random strangers who I'd never seen or talked to before come up to me and ask me where I got that thing. And I'm not really used to that happening. And so I just kind of filed it in the back of my head. I, I was, uh, as I said, I was, I was selling tractors for a little while. I was a mortgage broker. I went to law school, did a lot of different things, just trying to find my way. And it got to the point where I, like I was saying, I really wanted to start my own business, and I dabbled in a, in a couple other things that that didn't really work out. I actually um, wanted to start my own insurance agency, um, believe it or not, and I quickly figured out that that was not the route I wanted to take. The, the world of fashion.
0: Thanks you. For of course. That
1: out. <laughs> and so, I just couldn't. As I was thinking of something unique and untraditional. I couldn't get Ben's idea out of my head. And I damn sure couldn't have thought of anything any more unique or untraditional than what he had thought of. And so all credit to him on that. And I got to the point where I just called him up and we were all already, you know, very good friends and said, hey, I think you've got an idea that needs to be seen by more people. And I think that you and I could partner up and and get that done together. And it was a simple... As him saying, "Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it." It was it was really that <laughs> cool.
0: because we already knew each other very right, well. Right. and you established that relationship and a level of trust. Yes, he presumably also liked Charleston enough to want to stick around. Uh, he and his wife, I'd imagine. Now, was he married to Marianne at that point? He was. It was his wedding yes. that he gave you the bow ties for uh, at so? So he too was probably of a like mind in that he liked the low country enough to want to build a home here and did he immediately see the connection between Staying here in Charleston, living here in Charleston, and like setting up a business here, because it sounds like you kind of connected. Well, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship in Charleston means like I can live in this great place for a long time. Was Ben kind of on the same page, or what was he doing professionally and personally at that time when you gave him that call and he said, "Yeah, let's do this bow tie thing"?
1: Yeah, I would I would say that that probably wasn't like the focal point in the beginning. Uh, sure. He was uh, doing facilities management for for a law firm, and. Um, that definitely wasn't in the, in the conversation because just thinking about the things that we went through to even get to the point where I'm sitting here talking to you right now <laughs> sure. are so many different things. And um, it was just us grinding one day at a time and I, I couldn't have um, gone to any school and graduated with an MBA degree and learned any more than what I've learned just starting this thing Um, from raw materials to supply chain to marketing to zebra printers with a UPS code and like all of it and so you know it's it's just putting your best foot forward and I could not have thought of a better place to launch this brand than Charleston Um, and it and it just kind of happened that way Mm. um although i always knew like i said that charleston is a a, it's a special place and the local community has
0: helped us in so
1: many Mm. tremendous ways
0: you mentioned not going to mba uh, or or business administration school and not earning that degree and not kind of following the one of the traditional paths towards business ownership and in fact learning just as much if not more Um, in in practice and kind of presumably by making some mistakes and and learning from those mistakes and and kind of just a lot of guess and check work it sounds like Um, I was watching recently a a documentary with Richard Branson he talks about how it wasn't until like three decades into owning one of the world's most successful airlines companies and and selling one of the most successful record companies for a billion dollars that he realized the difference between net and profit Um, So There there are these blind spots I think that entrepreneurs have and, and the ones that at least in my view seem to be the most successful and comfortable with themselves and their success are those who are comfortable admitting some of those blind spots. Is there anything you learned along the way that to someone from maybe an MBA program for example would seem like the sort of thing you should have known at the outset but you're like okay with not having known?
1: I think there are probably more things that I'm okay not knowing than than the alternative, Mm. honestly. Um, I take pride in knowing what I don't know. Mm. And when you're building a team and when you're building a business, that's vital. Because when you're looking for people to join a team with you, you've got to know what skills you're looking for that you're not that good at. Right. I mean, or what you're not overly interested in. I mean, myself, I, I really gravitate at the beginning into e-commerce and marketing, um, connecting, you know, connecting with the customer, talking to the customer. Um, I would definitely say that the the financial bookkeeping part of the part of the business is not something I'm overly um, passionate about digging into, Um, and and I'm okay with that, and you gotta find the right people to to help you with that. But going back to the beginning, when you're thinking about all those things, it got to the point where if you're passionate enough about it, and we were so laser focused that we were gonna make this thing work, that we were gonna do anything. Mm -hmm. And for those people that don't know me, I am one of the most unartistic people um, you would meet. And in the brackish operation, definitely the most unartistic person. And I take a lot of pride in that. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, we didn't have an option to find artistic people in the very very beginning because we bootstrapped our business and so it's like we have hundreds of orders here and either myself and Ben are gonna make these and get paid and get customers and start this business the right way or not they're in really much of an option and so I knew that I was not gonna be the best at making these products. But at the same time, there is a determination and a will and a passion about figuring out what you need to do to the best of your ability and moving on. And so I think there's a really good story there about not waiting until everything is perfect to go.
0: Because nothing
1: will ever be perfect, still not perfect. Um, There's always gonna be things. And so just going, but putting your best foot forward and doing everything you can will usually turn out okay.
0: Love that. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan myself of not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Um, As you were speaking, it, it got me thinking, there must be instances where... By your own admission, you're not the most artistic person, obviously, eventually, because you followed the doctrine of not letting perfect be the enemy of good. You kind of soldiered through that and were presumably able to find designers and folks who could supplement some of what you and Ben were coming up with in terms of the designs for the accessories. And now you, you're creating one of the you know, most eye-catching luxury brands, at least in the region, certainly beyond that. Um, but there must have been at the outset naysayers, skeptics, cynics, folks from high fashion who looked at a soccer-loving attorney and a facilities manager who were threading feathers into bow ties and said, good luck. You're never going to make it. This is a bad idea. You don't have the background. What, what, how did you soldier through that? What, what was your response? Or did you not hear that from people?
1: We absolutely heard that. I mean, so many people um, were saying it, and so many more people were thinking it. No doubt about it. I remember a phone call I had with my father, and I was telling him what I was about to start. And I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a feather bow tie company with with." One of my buddies, Ben, and my parents are so supportive and have always been there and they are unbelievably great, but they definitely let me know that that, they didn't think that that was the best idea. (laughs) And I get it. I get it. I completely understand that. And there are a lot of people that don't think that far outside the box. You know one of our core values at brackish is what box because we're just always thinking way out there so huh. it's not even like it's not even we, we just don't want to go down that traditional route Honestly. and so yes um it's it's about being confident without being arrogant or cocky but having an inner confidence about what you can do and that still doesn't guarantee anything but it just goes back to being passionate and committed and and doing everything in your power to make it work and if you have a solutions based mindset that's going to get you really far hmm. and whatever it is hmm. so we've we had so many different issues you know when you when you think about um, people that look at us and we didn't really have the qualifications. A lot of times, the, the old saying, you know, ignorance is bliss, is it applies. Mm-hmm. Because you don't really know how much you don't know in the beginning. Sure. And you're just going. And next thing you know, I'm in front of the buyer at Neiman Marcus at their headquarters in Dallas, Texas doing a presentation for our products and getting getting an order right there when there are so many brands who would bend over backwards and people that have way more qualifications than Ben and myself to do that. Hmm. And, you know, Ben's idea is a remarkable idea and we we used that as a springboard Hmm. to build a business here in Charleston and to continue to grow our brand in a way that we want to is knowing that we're that we're brackish and we're continuing to innovate and have products that people notice and want to wear because they want to get noticed or have mm. a conversation started. And um, it, it it starts it starts with that inner confidence and it grows from there. Mm.
0: Well put let's let's accelerate it to the present day and talk a little bit about where the company is today where you're headed what you're most excited about i'd love to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what the next few stops on the brackish journey are
1: so excited to talk about that and you know the passion never stops and it's really really important that that as a, at a business as sorry as a business owner that you're continuing to grow and evolve with the company as that happens hmm. as long as you're able to do so and i feel like i am and it's so important that we're able to come out of 2020 in the first part of 2021 and have a lot of momentum behind us and we do and we're, and we're so excited um, to be able to launch for instance, a new website, brackish.com, and really start um, being known um, for our brand. And, you know, we're a team of of almost 50 strong now, right here in the Charleston area and in West Ashley. And what we're looking to do moving forward is to continue to market in unpredictable ways and connect with our customer in unpredictable ways, innovate on the product side, but also internally make sure that we're all of our practices and processes are done the right way to allow us to continue to be agile. Mm. Making everything right here in Charleston is something that's important to us. It's something that we do. I think it's something that a lot of people don't even know that we do. And so we want to really shout that from the mountaintops and we want to. Emphasize our artisans and all the people that are here in Charleston that are that are making these products on a daily basis and so cool. It's really connecting with our customer. It's it's growing the brand. It's coming up with innovative products, but at the same time It's helping our whole team evolve as people within the community here in Charleston. It's something that I'm very excited about hmm.
0: I love the dialing into Made in Charleston as part of the unique value prop. I think that's really special. We've got a number of businesses who are associated with the Lowcountry Local First Network, many of whom are, I'd say a majority of whom are engaging with customers and partners and clients and colleagues who are in some way, shape or form connected to this region. But then there are a few companies. Brackish is among them, that are positioned to sell their product or their service really to anyone on planet Earth and are finding innovative ways to do so, but also leaning on the fact that they are intentionally grounded, tethered to the low country and whether that's that their product is made here or their headquarters is here or their business owners live work play raise families in charleston it varies but it is interesting and i think it is pretty powerful given that in a lot of ways the the eyes of the country of the world based on the latest conde Nast survey or the latest new york times article um, for, for good, bad, or neutral reasons, are often on this Metro Center, increasingly so. So I think it's really cool to hear when there are businesses like yours, Jeff, that are large and growing um, and are internationally oriented, um, it, it's cool to see them kind of remember their roots, so to speak, and and not only that, but really like wear that on their sleeve, to put it into fashion terms, if you'll excuse the pun. Very nice. (laughs) So, So tell me about what else sets brackish apart. Now that you're, you used to be bow ties, you had feathers in the bow tie, it was a beautiful thing, a conversation starter at wedding receptions, what sets you apart other than the fact that you're made here in Charleston now that you're expanding? And tell us a little bit about what that expansion looks like.
1: Absolutely. It's a great question. I would, I would say that the easy answer there is what sets us apart. It's our people and it's what's our team. And that, that could sound a little cliche, but it's true. Um, you, you got it. You could have the best product in the world that nobody else has ever seen before, but if you don't have the right team in place, that's all pulling in the right direction to get you where you want to go, and where you need to go, where everybody wants to be, then you can't do anything. And I just know the creative energy that we have under our several roofs that we have in West Ashley, I would put that up against anybody. And that's a big differentiator and it's something that's so special when when you can see what we're able to do creatively with with the materials that we have and the innovation that goes on every day it's it's breathtaking to me and I, it doesn't get old to me right And so if you're able to continue to nurture that environment and you continue to, Keep your eye on the big picture of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do from a, you know, a number standpoint of growth. But like I was saying before, it it can't it can't get too far that way because then you're forgetting about what got you at this point. Hmm. And that creativity and that way that we innovate is is the biggest differentiator. And so I'd I'd say that's. That's what we're looking to do as, as we grow. Um, we just need to do it in a, in a larger scale way. Cool. Um, you know, we, we talk about just different, different things, um, different creative processes that we always wanna go through um,
0: that'll enable us to get us to that end point. How do you get teammates who understand the culture and wanna be a part of it and maybe even wanna you know, improve upon it or inject more energy and ideas into it if the team is such an important piece of what you do at Brackish, how do you cultivate one that makes it such a special company?
1: Not going to lie, it can be difficult, um, especially when you're a growing business. And there are things that you can put in place that will hopefully resonate amongst the team, because um, ultimately it's going to be up to the individual. But I'd say a few months into the company, back in 2012, I sat down with our five employees at the time and said, we need some core values. And we put together a list of core values for the company. And to this day, those are still our core values. We've added one along the way. But having something like that as a as a compass Hmm. is is important uh, to lay that foundation and to lay that groundwork company wide because you've got to have a commonality amongst the company because there's production there's inventory there's purchasing there's sourcing there's marketing there's sales. There's so many different aspects of the business and everybody's dialed in on their thing. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to find that one thing that everybody can, can come together on, that, mm-hmm. that common ground. And so finding the people with the skill set and the passion for creativity is first and foremost. But then bringing them in and laying that foundation for everybody to be able to focus on their strengths, hmm. I would say is the most important thing.
0: You're willing to share a couple of the core values. Is it the core values themselves specifically you think are what makes the Brackish team so cohesive and powerful and and uh, and positive? Or would you say that just the the virtue of the fact that you have core values doesn't so much matter what specifically they are, but you would you would recommend all businesses have some set of them that all employees adhere to in some way, shape, or form?
1: I would say the latter, okay. for sure. Yeah, you, you, you just can't, like, snap your fingers, have some core values, and everybody's going to be great, right? <laughs> right I mean, right. It's, it's a good point. No, it, it, it's important to have them okay. as something to look look to okay. as as a bit of a compass. Sure. But, you know, I mean, I think... I think most everybody, I, I, would be, I would be doing our team a disservice if I took too much credit for that. I, I would say it, it's a lot of it's on the individual, you know, I mean, what do they want to be a part of? Do they want to be a part of something that's, that's growing, mm-hmm. that's changing, that's pushing the envelope at all times and that's trying to be a solutions based place for innovative products that are remarkable to our customers? Hopefully yes, if we have the right people we'll go in that direction. And I think we do for the most part. Um, Going back to the core values question, I mean, a few of them uh, It is one of them is fuel customer confidence. It's really important um, that our customers are confident with our products and with our operations and and what we do. Mm -hmm. So that's something really important. Um, A positive and respectful work environment is really important when everybody is, together and we're, we're making these products and we're doing so many different things right here, mm-hmm. um, we need to be respectful and positive. Sure. Um, a 360 perspective, meaning just understanding where everybody's coming from, right? Like, okay, I've, there are so many parts of this process. This production process has so many touch points, like over 50 touch points mm-hmm. before a bow tie, for example, gets to the shelf and before it gets shipped out. Mm. So it's really important, not that everybody understands exactly what everybody does every minute of the day, but also everybody just kind of understanding what role this person plays in the company and what role they play in the production process or in the sales process or in the marketing process. So when things happen or when there are questions, people can empathize a little bit more. Mm what's going on because they understand where the other person's coming from so that's what 360 perspective means um it's really important for us um and then accountability you know that's the it's a buzzword sometimes but it's it's really really important you just just do what you say you're gonna do when you say you're gonna do it and you'll be like light years ahead of a lot of people and i you know that's something that's really really
0: important as well so that's a few of them cool love that i appreciate that pulling back the curtain there. Uh, Folks, if you want to use those, uh, pay a small commission to Jeff (laughs) Plotten. We'll leave his uh, billing address uh, in the notes of the podcast episode. (laughs) Um, We're going to wrap it up in a minute, Jeff. This has been really, uh, really valuable. And I appreciate the the responses. They've been really thoughtful. And I know that a lot of our listeners are going to get a lot out of them, particularly the business owners here. While I have you, um, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up kind of the, uh, the elephant in the room which is Amazon which is you know huge international you know corporate in, in some cases faceless behemoths that are almost in, uh, occasionally s- seem to be insurmountable to, to folks who want to sell a product through their own channels and control those channels to some degree with reliability. The reason I bring it up is because we've passed around um, our annual member survey, as we do every year, to our local independent business owners, and many of them, for the first time ever since we've done the survey, um, to an overwhelming response, we have heard from them that there is a growing concern, particularly among the retailers who are selling online We're talking about things like e-commerce or selling directly uh, to consumers through their own website. Um, There's a growing concern that some of the players in the digital retail space like Amazon, particularly those that like Amazon, own both the platform and products, which can be quickly created to replicate existing products on the platform and then sold for pennies under the highest selling, most popular version of the product. There's concern that it's becoming increasingly difficult to compete with products like that and platforms like Amazon. Um, first, do you sell, uh, and, and no judgment either way, I'm just curious do you, do you sell any brackish products on platforms like Amazon, like these big digital marketplaces? Um, and then, question B is what are your thoughts about the future of digital selling? Um, how. Or how not? Is it going to be tough for retailers like you to compete with a space that's becoming increasingly crowded, increasingly competitive? Um, do you have are you, or is there a concern that someone can easily go online, type in luxury bow tie or luxury textiles or luxury accessories for my wedding? and a bunch of things pop up that may look like a brackish product, but you know full and well as the business owner that they don't have the great team behind it. It's not the same quality product. There are all these reasons folks shouldn't pick that competitor, but a, an uninformed consumer may not understand that and may scoop it up. What are your thoughts? On, and it's an emerging world, so I apologize for the nebulous question, but I'd love to hear you chime in on um, where we stand with emerging retailer monopolies in the digital space and how you think brackish will or won't try to contend with them moving forward it's a great question i think it's something
1: that's always evolving it's always changing much like so many other things you know in the in the digital world Uh, to answer your first question we do have things on amazon and i want to tell you why we have a small selection on amazon and we've also priced it over what we normally price our products at anywhere else. Hmm. And, and the strategy behind that is, is purely a marketing ploy for us. Interesting. If, if there are a lot of eyes somewhere else and we can get some eyes looking at that and then maybe coming back to us directly, we're going to try that. Hmm. And so that is the only reason we do it. But it's really interesting. I'm that was something that that I thought we should do. Huh. We should tra- thought we should try out. I, I, I really look at so many so many non-direct income channels as a lot of marketing. Um, just using using those specific channels and distribution points to get more eyes on your brand in a way that you actually get paid for it. Um, and so, your second question, I'd say it's something you always have to be cognizant of and just the sheer volume of people that, that go to these big digital sites um, to where it's you know more commoditized than not and there's nothing really overly special about it, it's just a quick transaction in your go. And one thing that we pride ourselves on here at Brackish is not the transactional thing. Mm -hmm. It's the experience. Um, If somebody somebody places an order on our website, for instance, Brackish.com, and if they are within a specific zip code radius, they can choose a local pickup option and so they can come in Hmm. and they can quote unquote pick up their their order but what typically happens and this was pre-pandemic was when somebody comes in to pick up their order we want to greet them we want to talk to them but then we also want to offer them a chance to see where we make everything we want to create an experience Hmm. so let's just Let's just say that this customer was buying a pair of earrings for their daughter who was about to get married or just graduated from high school. And he or she comes in to pick up this product, this order, and they're just thinking, I'm just going to go get it real quick. I'm saving on shipping and Sure, I'm going to be gone. The next thing you know, they're whisked into the, into the back here where – our studio is and where our artisans are making the product Mm -hmm. like there's yeah it's right there making it Uh, we've 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 had artisans sign our pine boxes Hmm. for the customers you know um but so this person comes in to pick up a, a product but they're actually getting this whole experience and then they're giving this gift, but then they're telling this story about how they saw this being made and saw these other things here and there, and it's made right here, and there's like mm-hmm. there's something to it. There's some no. substance behind it that that transactional thing that's fast and easy for the customer, you just don't get that. And so you don't there's there's always gonna be a balance. You know, you you can't you can't go all the way that way there's got to be some type of convenience but you mm-hmm. still have to be remarkable and you've got to set yourself apart mm-hmm. and those types of things do that um, and we want to be able to portray that digitally let's say there's a person that's not in Charleston right. and we want to give that person a good experience and so the onus is on us you know I mean I can't control what all these other people are doing. Mm-hmm. We can only control what we can do. Mm-hmm. And so shame on us for not staying a, ahead of the curve mm-hmm. or innovating. You know, if if somebody wants to to knock us off and, and come try to pass us, bring it. Because we're not going to let you. We're very, very secure about our craftsmanship and what we do. Mm-hmm. But competition is all right. I'm okay with that. Um it used to bother me a whole heck of a lot more than it does now but you've got to put you got to take that energy and channel it into innovation and there's always going to be something to deal with Mm -hmm. but if you can just think about it in a strategic way that makes sense for your brand to keep it authentic then you won't turn into a commodity and hopefully you know customers understand that you can't Mm -hmm. you can't you can't pull the wool over on customers' eyes. Sure. I mean, they understand the, the genuineness, the authenticness. Mm-hmm. And you just gotta you gotta stay true to that.
0: And how do you if we could double click that's fascinating, Jeff? I particularly am curious to focus in a little bit more if we can just for a minute. I know we've gotta wrap up shortly, but I know a lot of our listeners would love to hear what a really established brand like yours is doing to enhance that Digital customer experience to make it a little less transactional and a little more um, uh, comparable to the in-person, handheld kind of analog experience.
1: Yeah, it's it's constantly thinking of non-traditional ways to push the envelope. Um, it's highlighting our artisans um, through marketing hmm. through social media through different celebrity sightings um, mm. through a lot of a lot of different different things that you can do to to push that envelope to let the customer understand who you are and where you came from, um, making sure that that Ben and myself are are visible that that here here we are. Mm. You know we're not we're not these two random guys up in their boardroom you know sitting sitting in a desk i mean we're we're, we're out here we're, we're working every day we're real people like yeah. come come talk to us come see us um see the faces behind the brand um see the people um those are the types of things that that you want to do um and that's genuine and that's mm-hmm. authentic but it's just